You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. I'm underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hey, what's up? Chad Gray. We are very honored to have you here today. This is Delirious Nomads, a podcast uh, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, my record company, and also uh, affiliated with uh, Metal Blade Records, of course. We, uh, we've got a few of these in the can. We're still kind of finding our way, to be honest, but uh, really important that we start out strong. So I thought of you right away. Uh, also, I missed your face. Um, and uh, yeah, the last time I saw you, we were getting crazy in Vegas at the pool at that Inked Magazine party. Yeah, lots of lots of crazy fucking people there that day for sure. And your hair, your hair was fucking like violet red. Yeah, it was yeah, bright red and fucking down to my ass. Yeah, what, did you cut it? Oh, really? Yeah, I cut it Why? What happened? What? what, what well, dude, dreads, man, you got to maintain them. And the people that like this uh, chick that did it, like you know, tightened them and shit like that. Everything stopped. So it was like, right. I fucking stringing like by, like hanging by like one fucking hair. You know, I'm like, fuck it. So I just cut them off. Those of us who don't uh, who don't have any any ability to switch things up find it <laughs> offensive when people like you switch things up. <laughs> I get your hair. I just got to go get a clippers. So, um, and quickly, uh, Matt, you guys got on here before I did. But, yeah, um, we had Matt, a meaningful five minutes. Uh, I don't yeah, know. You, ever, you probably never met before, right? Or have you? Never no, no, yeah. not that I so recall. Matt, Matt, Matt is, uh, you know, he really helps. He's he's the man behind the scenes at Blacklight Media. Uh, also works with Metal Blade. Works with a lot of labels. Works uh, has a lot of close relationships with a lot of the heavy hitting um, uh, websites. And he's he's in this, he's firmly embedded in the scene. And it was, it was his it was him pushing me to do this podcast. So I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time. But here we are, and we're starting to have a lot of fun with it. I guess I got five things that I want to hit on. I'll start with the last one first, which is. Um, congratulations and how is married life? Married life's good, man. It's good. It doesn't really feel much different, man. The cool thing is it got moved from April 4th, which was 250 people, to uh, Halloween that was 50 people. And she about to pull her fucking hair out with 50. And the day after, she's like, oh, my God, thank God there was 250. I was supposed to get married October 10th with 300 people in New York. And it was going to be a full carnival wedding with rides and all this other shit. And... um now we're like fuck it as soon as the world comes back to normal i just want to like we want our mothers to want to get married in front of our family and that's it and maybe have a party at some point right that's basically what we did we just it was just family and like super close friends we did it down at uh, uh lake havasu that's shannon's happy place she's been going there since she was a kid anything to do with the colorado river or whatever her grandfather's ashes are uh right down there and stuff like that so you know he was there and uh 
So yeah, you know, just it was a lot of family and friends, and it was it was fucking great. Man. It was really really great. But we're doing the same thing. We're tentatively right now for June fifth to basically do the reception. So we'll like actually get dressed up again and roll in like we just got married or whatever, and just and just fucking party out. Nice, I like it. I couldn't imagine, Chris. I mean, I'm sure you know the same thing with Natalie. It's just like going through this shit, going through COVID and stuff like that, and just being you know quarantined together for fucking months. Or whatever. It's not that I'm thinking about past relationships, but I'm just when I do, I'm like, there's no fucking way I would have made it <laughs> with that bitch, that bitch, that you know what I mean? Like, no way, you know. But I mean, Shan's an anomaly. She fucking, you know, we're, we're doing great. We're doing, we're we're stronger now than we, you know, we ever were. Is she and, doing her show out of the out of the out of the apartment or the house or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does, yeah, works from home. That's great. That's great. Was that was was that always the case, or did COVID necessitate that? Yeah, she she's been doing that since she's lived in Vegas for sure. When she, when she still lived in LA, you know, she would go to the studios or whatever. And you know, back when she lived in New York, obviously she'd go to the studios. But yeah, you know, in today's world, you don't really need it. And, you know, in LA, it's like, why well, get up and fucking drive to work in the fucking madness? You know, traffic and shit. You don't right. have to. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got here. You know, she just started working from home, but. That's fucking great, but she uh, she's takes a lot of pride in her work. It's it's awesome for me to see. You know, she preps her show. Um, she you know she, she researches stuff. I mean, she doesn't just well, I'm a DJ, fucking boo. You know, I mean, she like makes sure she's got shit to talk about. It's cool. Got it. So Everybody. Um, this is air, this is not going to air for a little while yet, but um, but nonetheless, it, it doesn't have to stop us from talking about the fact that you have a single uh, dropping tomorrow with with or collaboration. I listened to it. It's great. I, I apologize. I didn't get to it until today, but it was. Re- I really loved it. Kind of tell Matt and everyone that's listening, kind of who you who it is and how it, how you, how that happened. I, his name is Hyrule the Hero or whatever. He's a young black kid came came from hip hop. You know what I mean? Got into the metal scene somehow. Fell in love with it like metalheads do. <laughs> you know, and, you know he's super passionate. Uh, me and the, the, you know the story is. Vinny and I, we were at, I can't think of the name of the hotel. It's in like, now I know it's, uh, it's a hotel. It's like out by a big fucking mall. It's like in North London or something like that. We met Hyro there. He was over there. You know, I don't know if he's doing some like touring or whatever. We went over there for like a press junket. Vinny and I met him and we just dumped shots down his throat. You know, <laughs> he really liked us. It's typical Chad and Vinny shit. So yeah, I met him years ago. And then, you know, I've seen him a few times here and there, you know, crossing past touring and shit like that. He just he came to me and wanted me to sing on a track. I got approached by like kind of a, our, we have the same lawyer, his management and shit. And they just came to me and were like, you know, would you be willing to sing on a track? And I'm like, sure, let me hear it. And then they sent me, they sent me two songs and I loved the verse for fight. I thought the verse was so cool. And, uh, and I saw that way for him and I to kind of, a and B the, the the verse you know so he sings and then I kind of do a little uh, soft singing part or whatever and the chorus was good it was a good chorus but I, I just looked at him and I was like I was like you know I don't want to piss anybody's cornflakes you know because you know um but I was like do you guys mind if I take a shot at writing it you know because I have a melody in my head and it's kind of uh you know kind of ready mixing in my mind I had lyrics everything came with it so, and I thought it was really strong. It was more of a singing chorus than what he had. And I just saw the potential in the verse, honestly. And I was like, 
you know, do you guys care if I take a stab at this? And they're like, sure. And I drove down to Phoenix. Uh, that's where his uh, producer works. And, um, went in and tracked it, you know, and, and fucking they sent it around and everybody was just over the top about it, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was, it was really cool. And it gave me something to do in all this shit. Mm-hmm. So is he putting, he's, he's putting out a whole metal record. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He, he's got another record or whatever, but yeah, you know, he's just continuing on, you know, but, uh, David Draymond sing on one of the tracks. You probably heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Corey Taylor, uh, sings on a track. Spencer, Einstein kills. He sings on a track. He's got a lot of pretty heavy hitters, you know, singing on the track with him. David, uh, David's actually going to be doing uh, one of these podcasts very soon with us. Awesome. So, you know, I don't really want to, it's been such a depressing year. You know, my, 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 the hospitality industry has been completely decimated. Um, the record, you know, I'm in the record business as well um, on a much smaller level, but, you know, nobody's touring. Everybody knows the obvious, but, you know, f- for you specifically, you know, you, you guys came out with that record. When did the record come out? Because it wasn't that far before. What was it? Maybe four, five September before? September, okay. So six months before the shit really hit the fan. I mean, that was a really strong record. Um, I loved it, personally. Um, and I know that it was a really personal record for you guys because of everything that happened. So what were your... I guess I want to just talk about, like, what was the ambition in terms of touring or anything like that? And, you know, how COVID obviously affected that? And then are you going to still go out and support that record when things get back to normal? That, that kind of shit. Yeah, I don't... You know, dude, everything is just just such a stalemate i mean everything is just locked up nobody really knows what's going on i mean you can't even begin to think about when this is all we're going to come out from under this so i mean touring plans are whatever <laughs> you know but um it's just you can't even really talk about it you know what i mean it's just like it's it's so uncertain and grim yeah i mean we yeah we had plans you know i mean obviously we had plans to fucking support it it was important to me because it was Benny's final work you know, um, when we did the album, uh, you know, he passed, the music was done. He had played all his drums. Uh, I'm usually taking up the, the back, you know what I mean? Writing lyrics and melodies and shit like that. It takes me a little longer, but I, I only had four songs done when he passed, but to his memorial and I went home for five days and I got my ass in the truck and I drove back to, to Vegas, you know? And, um, you know, I wrote six songs after that. And it was hands down the most excruciating, fucking troublesome time in my life, you know, to be creative in that headspace. But I mean, he was my driving force, man. He was my muse. He, you know, and I knew the value of it and what it meant, what it would have meant to him, not only, but, but to our fans to uh, finish that album, to carry on his legacy. So it was super important to me. Obviously, you know, just releasing music to my, to my, to my people. My fans, you know, they fucking love the band and I want to, you know, you know, it was Vinny's goal too, to give them new music. It was fucking tough, Chris. (laughs) It was tough, but we got it done. You know, we were doing, uh, we did the two um, Celebration of Life tours. Uh, One was like A Markets, the first one we did. And then uh, the second one we did was like tertiary, you know, secondary and tertiary markets. So we kind of, we kind of hit, you know, everywhere in the States that we could. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun, man. We had, you know, Roy Mayorga playing fucking drums for us. He's absolutely insane. But the coolest part about Roy was, is like, Vinny was such a warm, loving, giving, great, just a just an amazing human being. And Vinny loved Roy, and Roy loved Vinny. Roy is about as close to that kind of personality as you can get. 
So not only did he bring the chops and then the drumming skills, but he brought that kind of warm, great human being vibe or whatever. It just felt good. It felt good to tour with him. And he took it super, super seriously. I mean, he rehearsed before our first rehearsal as a band. He rehearsed fucking six hours a day for like two months. And he could play the songs, but he was playing them like he wanted to play them like Vinny played them. You know, so the technique and stuff like that wasn't Vinny's technique and his aren't the same. They're both fucking great drummers, but it wasn't, you know, Vinny's technique was just different. So Roy really climbed inside of that and kind of learned to play like Vinny. I mean, ultimately. And um, he just fucking crushed it, man. I mean, we brought it so hard every night because we were doing it for him. You know, we were doing it for him and his brother. We were doing it for, you know, Jeff, Jeff Hanneman and fucking Chester Bennington. We were doing it for everybody. You know, when I was on stage, I'd be like, you know, we're here, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's my banter or whatever. Like, we're here tonight to celebrate the, the life of Vinnie Paul, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, well, I figure if we're here to celebrate the life of Vinnie Paul, we might as well go ahead and celebrate the life of Dimebag. Is that cool? You guys cool with that? Blah. Well, might as well go ahead and celebrate the life of Lane Staley. Blah. And I just kept saying all of our heroes that have passed and it just crescendoed. And it just became the Vinnie Paul celebration of life tour to kind of all of our fallen brothers kind of celebrating all everybody's life, you know? So it was, it was, it was really cool and uplifting and um, a lot of heart went into it. And we fucking, we played lights out, man. Every night we just fucking went out and ripped it as hard as we could for Ben, for Dime, for Jeff, for Lane, fucking for, for, you know, for Chester, for Chris, you know, Chris Cornell, like, everybody you know we just like okay let's let's have a, a true celebration of life many lives it was a lot of fun man it was a lot of fun as tragic as it was man you you take if you can take something like that and you can create something positive you know um whether it's a thought or a vibe or anything like that i mean that was our goal that was our mission and uh again you know benny and dime everybody else was that was our fucking muse man you know it was benny was my muse to to get through the recording and you know everybody i just mentioned was our fucking muse and we hit the deck every night you know man just to fucking rip it up and have fun we wanted to have fun that's i mean let's get back to it you know that's what music's all about for me is getting with my people screaming in their face having them scream back in mind and have a fucking blast doing it you know that's what that's what metal kids are into you know we need that shit when you do something like that you know you kind of have to be very aware of like the whole like sort of lineage and legacy of metal, right? Right. Where do you see yourself falling into that lineage of <laughs> front men and metalheads? Like, how do you kind of envision Chad Gray in like a, a macro sense? You know, just to be, I mean, I, I always call it the metal family, you know what I mean? And uh, the metal community. And to be, to be a part of it is such a huge part of my life. You know what I mean? Like the psychological aspects of COVID, you know, people don't really touch on, but fuck, it's been brutal for me, man. Cause like I said, it's, it's, it's about me getting up on stage in front of a room full of people and giving them something and then giving me something back. You know what I mean? We use each other in the best form of using someone, you know, the, the, the best way you can say, I use this person. Normally that's very negative, you know, like you fucking use them. Yeah. You know, I use them. I use my fans and my fans use me. And uh, just to be a part of this beautiful brethren, you know, the heavy metal kids, that is my legacy, you know, that, that I touched 
I mean, my goal every day is to make a difference in one person's life. That's like something I kind of tell myself every day, accept yourself for who and what you are and try to make a difference in one person's life today. Whether it's fucking, you know, giving some guy some change outside of a gas station or, or whatever. Or helping launch a podcast. Or helping launch a podcast, absolutely. <laughs> and it's my pleasure to help you, Chris, because this is very metal, you know, and I know you and I met you at a fucking metal show and I remember fucking flipping out. Tom comes walking up and he's like, you know, man, I just, I don't even think he really understood or whatever, you know, like it's, this is no secret. Like Chop is ultimately like probably my favorite show. So I knew you from being on that, obviously. And fucking uh, Tom comes walking on the bus. He's like, he's like, man, there's this, there's this chef guy. And I know, I, I know he's like a celebrity chef or whatever. And he's, he's like, he gave me his card. I'm like, what's who with like fucking which one? You know what I mean? No, because I gave him, I, what happened was it was one of the festivals, but I was a huge Nothing Face fan, huge. I saw them probably 20 times, you know? So when I saw him, I ran up to him and was like, hey, I'm a huge fan. Here's my card. You ever want to eat? You know, it's on me kind of a thing. And then you can take it from there. He's yeah. I mean, at his card, he pulls out and, he's, and I looked at him like, fucking Chris Santos? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you met Chris Santos? He's like, yeah. I'm like, he's here. I'm like, fuck it, let's go. And we bombed off the bus and we came and found you on the back of the, the, back of the stage yeah. or whatever. And fucking, you had no voice because yeah. <laughs> I think it was day three of the festival. Right, right, yeah. The whole thing. That's right, where, I remember, yeah. Dude, your fucking voice was so smoky. I can barely understand you. I felt bad for you, but so how did you? So, so I love Nothing Face, man. I just, I just started listening. I kind of got into a little, you know. So you know how you like, you stop listening to bands for some reason, and then you all of a sudden you re, re, rediscover them. I've been listening to them a lot lately. Um, but how did you guys better? What's that? <laughs> when you rediscover, it's actually better. Yeah, right. No doubt. No doubt. Fucking teleport back right. to when you used to like them. You know what I mean? Which could be 20 fucking years ago. You know what I'm saying? It was 20 fucking years ago. It was 20 fucking years ago because I, mean, I toured yeah. motherfucker on violence or whatever. Fucking love that album. Yep. And I toured him. Uh, we did uh, Tattoo the Earth together. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember that tour? Slayers, yeah. Us, Heavy, you know, Nothing Face was on second stage, whatever. Uh, One Minute Silence, the UK band. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw, I also saw you in One Minute Silence and. Slipknot? No, it was four bands. I saw you guys at a tiny club in, um, it might have been CBGB's. No, I was at CBGB's. It was you, One Minute Silence, a band that sounded a lot like the Deftones, but wasn't the Deftones, and shit. It was just a great film. Ashes, something. I remember that tour. Yeah, it was great. You guys blew my mind. Mudbane, Mud that first record, which I didn't know, which uh, clown produced that? Executive producer. Executive producer. Okay, got it. He was, wasn't really involved in writing or anything like that, but... He basically gave us his nod. You know what I mean? When we when we came out of the studio, we toured with Slipknot for seven months. I mean, right out of the fucking studio. And this is right when they were fucking breaking. I mean, we were playing 2,500, 2,000, 2,500 seat clubs with Slipknot. So it was us and, uh, you know, another band in the Slipknot. And we did three different tours with them where we were the opener and they were the closer. And there was another uh, band shoved in there in the middle. Or whatever, but you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome, man. I mean, to get that, to get that love from those guys, it validated us because we wore makeup, makeup, you know, and they wore masks and stuff like that, and um, you know, so like I said, they kind of validated us and like these dudes are for real, blah 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 blah. And you, you know, guys I, were I, fully committed to the makeup and the whole look. I mean, absolutely. Fully. 
Absolutely. It was, a, well, the, the whole meaning behind Mudvayne wearing makeup was we were inspired by visual art. We were inspired by movies, 2001 Space Odyssey, Stan, Stanley Kubrick, directors, um, John Lynch, uh, Jackson Pollock, fucking Barnett Newman, you know, like modern artists and shit like that. Stuff that wasn't easy. Like, if you've ever seen 2001 Space Odyssey, it's the fucking slowest movie on the planet. You had to want it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and looking at Jackson Pollock, you have to fucking want it. It's not a sunset. It's not a fucking landscape painting. It's like, you got to look at it and try to wrap your fucking head around what he was thinking. And, um, but like I said, being inspired by, by directors and movies and shit, it's like, what do you get when you get a movie? You get a score, which is the music. You get content, you know, which is the, the, the lines, and you get a visual. With Mudvayne, we're like, we got a score, the music. You've got content in the lyrics. Why don't we give people a visual? You know? And that's where it basically stemmed from. Like, our whole wearing makeup wasn't just hey let's throw on some makeup and be fucking weird it was like we wanted to give people a visual attribute to coming to see us live you know outside of the manic mental you know craziness that we were when we played you know you got everything man with us and it was a lot of fun occasionally i hear rumors that you guys are going to get back on the road to do a little reunion thing what, what do you think I mean, if we were ever going to do it, it'd be now. It's 20 years, right? Right. No, no chance? Rumors are rumors. I mean, you know, somebody just said, like, we heard through something, and I'm like, like, what the fuck? Like, and it was somebody we know that said something about it, and, it, like, I ended up reaching out to him, like, what, why don't you say something like that? He's like, well, you know, it's just rumor. And I'm like... <laughs> Well, you keep it going. You know what I mean? But I do feel like I hear it from time to time. I read it somewhere or whatever. It is the most asked fucking question that I get, you know. We really going to do something. Because I'm still doing my thing. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm in hell, yeah. So I'm still kind of out there or whatever, you know. So I'm just more visible to people to be able to ask me, you know, than right, maybe sure. the other thing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I get it every fucking show I play, you know, afterwards when I'm out signing autographs or you know, or just fucking hanging out, with, hanging out with my metal kids. You know, that's what I do. So, but, is it yeah. a good feel? I mean, I, I get it if you that you don't, you know, might not come together, or, you, or there are reasons why it, it would never happen. But does it feel good though that people still care that much to ask you every show? It feels so good, man. It really does, man. And you know, people really, you know, like I said, we're kind of like two thousand one. We're kind of like a Jackson Pollock. We were not easy. We were math metal. You know what I mean? We're like odd time signatures and a lot of craziness. It wasn't just here's a song. It was like, if you want to fucking get it, you want to like it, you got to kind of work for it. You know what I mean? So it makes me feel good in that regard that what we considered our art was um, taken so seriously, you know, and people took it really fucking seriously. You know, I mean, I had people giving me, you know, textbooks and shit <laughs> and signing, signing a fucking, signing a book called the garden of pomegranates, you know, written by fucking Krishnamurti. You know, I'm like, Looking at this fucking little kid with fucking Genkos on it, a 3X Slipknot hoodie, handing me Garden of Pomegranates. Like, what the fuck are you doing reading this book? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I've read it, but you know, I got I'm a little longer in the tooth than you, kid. And I had a reason I had to read it. But <laughs> like, it, it was just crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't put that shit out there. Like, this is the text I'm reading. And this is what I'm doing. But people figured it out. <laughs> I don't know how, but it was, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So yes, to your question, absolutely. It's, it means a lot to me. 
you were a skinny little nothing the first time I saw Mudvayne and you are, you know, in great shape. You know, I was actually, even though we've been friends for a while, I hadn't seen you when I saw you in Las Vegas. And I was like, man, this guy's jacked. And uh, I'm about to turn 50. I'm trying to get, I'm really trying to get in good shape. I'm getting there, but it's fucking like at a turtle's pace. Like I, it's I'm slower. Yeah, it's really slower. So what's your secret? Like, what, like, what, what are you doing? The diet? Is it? Yeah. Looking good is always about diet. It depends on how good you want to look. You know what I mean? If you want to look fucking great, you hit the gym, you fucking do, you do cardio and you fucking eat clean. You know what I mean? Just bottom line, you fucking got to do it. I see dudes at the gym, man, and they're just fucking shredded. I work out really fucking hard, but I do not eat clean. Yeah. Well, you know what? Enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? You don't have to look like you did when you were fucking 22. You know what I mean? I mean, COVID really fucked me up in that sense because apparently I'm a slave to schedule like a motherfucker, you know? So I come off the road and yeah, but rarely do I have tours like bookended or back to back, you know? So I come off the road and I fucking go ballistic for two weeks. Like I fucking eat every piece of shit, crap, fast food you throw at me because I crave it. You know, like when I'm on the road, I'm eating fucking chicken salads and that because I want to stay looking good. I come home, I just throw all the caution to the fucking wind and, um, I eat whatever the hell I want for a couple of weeks. And then I know I've got a tour coming in probably about a month where I'll probably put on 10 pounds and then dude, I'm in the fucking gym. I'm just hitting the gym, cardio lifting. I mean, that's my life gearing up for the tour. So the last show we played was Shiprock. We come off the boat. We actually stayed in new Orleans with uh, Shannon's dad and stepmom. As soon as we came off the boat, cause it, that's where it took off from and where it came back to. And dude, New Orleans got fucking great fucking food, you know? So that's where my go off, you know, started was right off the boat because I didn't have another tour until April 18th. So I did that in New Orleans. We came home, fucking did my normal shit, ate like shit, didn't go to the gym, didn't give a fuck. And then this shit started and it was like, fuck, you know, <laughs> it was like the April tour went away. It just went bye-bye, fuck off. Like you were not doing it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I don't have to look good. So I just keep eating. And, and I'm like, you know, if I can't go out to eat, I want to only want to cook the shit I want to eat, right? I mean, that's the best stuff to cook. It's stuff you love or to try new things or whatever. And, dude, yeah, I wasn't in the gym. I was drinking a lot, obviously, because all this shit. But the, like I said, the, the psyche, you know, the, everything was fucked. You know, like self-esteem, gone. <laughs> Cause I didn't look good. I wasn't on stage. I wasn't doing my thing. You know, I was eating terribly cause I was eating what I wanted to cook. Yeah. It's been tough, but I mean, I, Chris, I mean, honestly, man, I've just in the last about month and a half, I just kind of went, fuck you COVID. I'm taking my life back. Cause I lost myself. I really did. I was drinking a lot. I was eating horrible. I was soft and I just wasn't used to being that way anymore. And I'm like, fuck it. You know what? I'm not going to let this take over my life and throw me into a body that I'm never going to be able to come back from. You know what I mean? Do you do hit that where it's just, it's just, you've gone so fucking far that you've been on the edge, man. I've been on the edge, right? You submit, you're like, fuck it. I'm never going to look like that again. Well, you know what? My drinking, uh, you know, I quit, quit drinking. I did that for my wife now, you know, she wants me to be healthy. She was concerned more with my drinking about my health than my drinking, you know, honestly, because I was just out of fucking control. I was just drinking so much and eating horribly. And uh, she started seeing me slipping away. You know, I was trying to hold on, but it was just 
just letting out line, man. And like I said, finally, I just had a, you got to have a reckoning. You just got to have that realization. You know what? Fuck this. You know, I'm taking my life back. You are not going to destroy me. You've already fucking taken my life and my livelihood, you know, but I'm not going to let you take me. And I got wrong. You know, I got strong and I wanted to, I wanted to be physically strong and I fucking got my ass back in the gym and hit it every day. Again, I'm trying to eat cleaner, but I'm like you, you know, I've fucking, you know, something sounds good. Fuck it. I'll cook it. You know, and I'll, I mean, the whole reason I'm a chef is because I'm obsessed with food. It's not because I'm obsessed. With <laughs> food. I, mean, I enjoy cooking, but it's really more about my love of food. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, so now you're kind of in this better mental place, right? Than you were a few months ago. Right. How has that impacted your planning going forward post COVID? Because it sounded like you weren't super optimistic for 2021. So like, what do you, what's going to start happening with Hell Yeah and other musical endeavors as you try to figure out like, what does my life look like in the new normal? I just need to get back into doing, I mean, dude, honestly, like when I talk about gearing back up for tour again, it's, it's about lifting. It's about cardio. It's about eating clean and da da da. And it's about rehearsing, you know, my own personal rehearsal you know, uh, putting headphones in and singing the set, you know what I mean? Um, you know, that's something I let slip too. You know, I wasn't doing shit for months. You know, I wasn't doing any personal rehearsal, you know what I mean? And that's, it's super fucking important, uh, to keep your chops up. It's like when you don't lift for a while and you go to the fucking gym and you hit it hard, man, you're sore as a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Singing's a lot like that. You know what I mean? If I don't stay conditioned, I'm just going to have that much harder of a time uh, to bounce back from that too. So that's something else I've been really kind of doing too and, and taking my life back is finding my, you know, I miss playing music. I miss my music. I miss playing my music for people. So it gives me some fulfillment too when I just get out there and just, and go for it. Like I'm getting ready to go on tour where I'm just warming up my chops and stuff, you know? So I do that, you know, now I've, that's another part of my life I've taken back with, you know, that we were talking about with, with, uh, you know, just getting back in the gym is doing that too. And, you know, so I've kind of taken that part of my life back too. And it feels really good. And, you know, when I first started doing the game was like, <laughs> you know, I was out of practice. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Because this is the longest you've been off the road in like 20 years, 20 fucking years, dude. I wrote, recorded and toured for 20 years and this shit happens. It's like, I mean, psychologically, you know, I remember when all this shit started and you got Dr. Fauci and this whole panel of, yeah. you know, when they were doing the daily briefings, you know, with the president and stuff, you know, you got this whole fucking panel of medical doctors. But the one thing nobody ever talked about was the psychological aspects of this, you know, fucking, you know, and then we started finding out through news that suicides at an all-time high fucking domestic violence is an all-time high child abuse is an all-time high matt's probably heard me say this a bunch of times and it'll probably hear me say it a bunch of other times um but <laughs> uh, but my my therapist i talked to a guy um this is a shame and i talked to a guy too I, I would i would encourage more people to do it to combat everything that's going on right now but he took he coined a term called helpless exhaustion and he really he really boil things down for me. He said, you know, you're in control of all you, you got all these restaurants, you're, you're a control freak, you control everything that happens in those restaurants. You know, you're, you're in control of everything that, that, that happens in the, those doors. You're, you're, you have control in this part of your life, control of this part of your life. COVID has taken control completely away. So you feel helpless and absolutely an exhaustion. It's called helpless exhaustion and it happens to everybody, no matter what they do. Yep. Um, yep. 
You're absolutely right. And that's a great, that's a great term. I mean, it's a, like, you know, if he coined that term, that's fucking amazing because that is what's going on. You know what I mean? Like you just not like the only guy I know that like in the middle of all this picked up his life, moved to a new city, fresh start, like as if nothing's going on. Yeah. London is great, yeah. bro. <laughs> don't even, don't even come at me. Uh, how's it going? I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Like people are taking it seriously and like, like, yeah, it's a pandemic, but like, I just have more friends here just out of like European festival culture. Like, you know how it is, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're just like, you just see these people every year yeah. and they somehow become like the people you do things with. Right. You know, how much did that affect you though? Like not having, you know, cause for me, like European festivals has been like my life since I was like 16. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? Cause I feel like that was such like a key staple of bands on sort of the hell yeah. And even previously the mud vein level, like what was that? Like that alone must've been a lot. It was terrible. It was fucking terrible. I mean, it went from, you know, that, to not even be able to play clubs. You know what I mean? Like you fucking play anywhere. It's like all you want to do is play. There's no such thing as a socially distanced mosh pit. Chris is a chef. He wants to cook. You know what I mean? I'm a musician. I want to fucking play. You know what I mean? That's what I want to do. That's what you want to do. You know, that's our life. It's our fucking life. Food is your life. Music is my life. It's what it's my livelihood. It's what I do for a living. You know what I mean? Do I love to do it? Absolutely. Do you love to cook? Absolutely. But food is your life. You have fucking restaurants, you know? I mean, you've got a lot of responsibility, man. There's a lot of responsibility. That's two examples right there. How full of responsibility are we? A ton. You know what I mean? You're responsible for your staff. You're responsible for your patrons. You know what I mean? I'm responsible for my crew guys. And it breaks my fucking heart, you know, because of this. Heavy lies the crown, man. <laughs> you know, when you're the top top dog, arguably, you know, I'm the guy in the, on the stage that pays all these people, you know. Um, you're the head dog at your restaurants. You pay all these people. It's like, if you feel bad, you know, you're going through it right now, you know, with having to shut down in L.A. I can't imagine how much staff you have to just look at and go, fucking sorry. We're padlocking the place tomorrow. We broke down all the guitars and all the jewelry in the pawn shop. We're driving to Vegas because we don't know when we're going to open again. We don't think we, you know, we're closed for three weeks, at least three weeks, but mm-hmm. we think it's going to be at least three months because even if, even if, because when they do reopen, it's going to be like, all right, you can open outdoors only 25% or maybe 50% or whatever. And it's the coldest months of the year. So it doesn't make sense for us to open. So even if we're allowed to open in January, it doesn't make financial sense to do it. And it just, right. it's just heartbreaking. You know, I just had to lay off my entire staff two weeks before Christmas. It's like, it's fucking, fucking terrible. Soul sucking, man. Soul sucking. So I, but I, you know, a lot of the people we've been talking to, you know, have, you know, a lot of the, the musicians that we've been talking to, you know, both on the podcast and just in my normal day-to-day life, you know, everyone is also, you know, it's really, it's really unbelievable how much, um, you guys care about your crew and, and it's the same. It's like me, the way I care about my crew, you know, um, everyone, everyone always talks about how they feel so bad about the, you know, the guitar techs and the drum techs and all these guys that can't like that can't work right now. It's, it's, it's fucking heartbreaking because I mean, you've got to understand we were in the studio or, you know, we were writing. I'm not paying my crew when I'm fucking writing. I'm not paying my crew when I'm in the studio. So when I drop a fucking album, my crew is like, cool. You know, we, we, we're, we're pretty golden for 18 months. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're going to, cause I'm not, I don't fucking, even if we take time off, we put them on retainers or whatever to keep them from going somewhere else. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever. We just take care of our people. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so 
yeah, for me, I didn't realize how good I felt, you know, providing money <laughs> to my crew until I couldn't, you know, I do that. I was, I was telling Matt earlier, I was like, I do these virtual meet and greets every week or whatever, just because I miss my people. I miss my fucking fans. And I get, when I do these mean greets, grand, yeah, of course, it's a little supplemental income, but it's not what the fuck I was making if I was on the road. But it's not even about the, the income. It's about seeing my people and asking them how they're doing and what's going on and are you working? And like, tell me about your life. Like, you've got the, you know, you can ask me whatever question you want. You've got the floor. You know what I mean? You pay for this or whatever. But, it's so awesome because generally we just end up bullshitting about life and how they've been doing. And dude, people are so fucking destroyed. They're devastated because they don't have music in their life. I mean, not just me being the musician guy, music fans. I mean, like I've talked to so many people who are like, I had tickets for five or six different shows. You know what I mean? All of them went away. You know, my April, my April tour. Well, you know, the, the only silver lining in that is that I think everybody took everything for granted. And so we never will again. The vaccine is out. And when things get back to normal, like restaurant business is going to be insane, but also the concert industry is going to be insane. Um, we, 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 we did a, we, we actually did an earlier uh, podcast this morning with uh, John, <laughs> my good friend, John Lamaki, who's a guitar player in Candiria. But we were just talking about the fact that like in 2022, theoretically, um, you know, in the, especially in the larger markets, there'll be shows six, seven nights a week because everyone's going to be on tour. Um, oh, yeah. And people are going to be going to those shows in droves and, be, and mm. all of that, whether it's concerts, whether it's restaurants, whether it's bars, um, whether it's going to a museum, all that stuff that people just took for granted that we can do whenever we want mm. is taken away from them. So the one silver lining is when this is over, I think it's going to be the roaring 20s again. And it's just going to be crazy. And I mean, like, I never, I mean, I never really took it for granted. I never went like, ah, I don't want to do that tour because I'm tired. <laughs> I never did that. I always went out to play, you know, because I love to play. And uh, what about, what about any live streams with, with Hell Yeah? Is that something you guys have talked about at all during this? Or You know, we definitely have talked about that. Hopefully we can make that happen. You know, people are doing it. And I think ours would be great. I mean, fucking, you know, we had a tour April 18th. You know, and that basically what the shit, let's just call it May 1st or March 1st hit the fan. You know, let's just call it March 1st. So it was pretty, pretty fucking close to the beginning of this shit. You know, that that tour went away and was doing really well. It was us, all the remains, butcher babies. Um, you know, it was, it's going to be a fucking fun ass tour, you know, and we were excited about it. But, you know, that that tour was selling really well. You know, I totally agree with you. I've, I've actually had this conversation with with uh, with my people in in those virtual meet and greets, they pretty much tell me like, we will never, never take live music for granted again, because you know, you're going to go, okay, cool. Hell yeah. Starting. They just dropped an album. They're going to go out on tour. You know, they're going to come back through the States, you know, in five or six months. So we'll just catch them then. Yeah. 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 All the people that didn't come to those first two celebration of life tours and waited for that April tour. And then that motherfucker went away or going, Motherfucker, I wish we would have done something. And for me, if you remember, I think I'm remembering this right. You guys were in Vegas and I was in LA. And then I was in Vegas when you were in LA. Like, I missed you. Yeah. I, I couldn't get to it. And I was trying I to figure out a way to get around it and get to you, but I just couldn't get to it. So, but yeah, I was thinking, ah, you know, I'll see him a little bit. I'll see him in the fall. You know what I mean? 
I'll catch them in the spring. Yeah, nope. yeah spring. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we don't want to take up too much of your time, Matt. You got anything else? No, I think that's about it. Do you have anything else you want to you want to make sure we know about, Chad? I hope everybody enjoyed the high road track. It was a lot of fun doing. Uh, but by the time it's there, it'll probably be well on its way to, you know, hopefully climbing the charts and doing something good for him. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me to do. That's for damn sure. Uh, just got a couple other irons in the fireman. I'm not really, not really at liberty to say. There's some new shit that's getting ready to, that's going to be dropping probably in around January uh, that people are probably going to be super fucking stoked about. Um, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just chilling. I just want to play, man. I just want to play. I just want to play a game. <laughs> All right, so that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom tom's the best tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like so that could be the latest shows uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Hello out there! Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist, Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>